We can all be fooled. It's hard to be fully objective when you're young and inexperienced. And at that time, we're even more vulnerable to hidden traps. Those of us who are older have learned by the many traps that we have been fooled and caught um, in. The Bible warns that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now, many times I have heard a young person tell me why God is leading in their courtship. And as I listen to them ask two or three questions, I can give them ten reasons. The Bible says their courtship, the person that they're thinking of marrying, is can't possibly be God's choice because God never violates his word. He never leads us to disobey it. There is, there is a statement that we've all heard, love is blind. But infatuation blinds. We can't see clearly. Notice what Steps to Christ tells us. When the affections are not in harmony with his will, that is God's will, in the very study of the Bible, what happens? The enemy takes control of the thought. So if you take your very own Bible and you're studying it, if your affections aren't in harmony with God, what happens? In the very study of the Bible, the enemy takes control of the thought. So we must have our affections in harmony with God's Word to be benefited by studying the Bible. Our affections can blind our eyes. We won't even understand the Bible's message. We'll flatter ourselves that we're doing exactly right when we're doing exactly wrong. Ellen White says that the reason why many people make no more advancement in the Christian life is that they think they're doing the will of God when in reality they're just following their own inclinations. And they think that their inclination is God's will. My, my wife called me last week. And she was, she told me that she didn't get too much sleep. She told me that a, uh, her mother had come in and, and woken her up because they thought maybe a mouse had been caught in a trap. So she went in where her mother was and sure enough there was a mouse. So she threw that away and she put another trap there. If you see one mouse, you know there's at least another. And she went back to bed. And guess what happened? Pretty quick, another mouse. And still another mouse. Three mo mice for the evening. And seven total, ultimately. So she was hunting mice. Now, what do we call a mouse trap? A mouse trap is a way that seemeth right unto a mouse, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And God has a, has, uh, wants to save us from man traps. A patient came into my office a few years ago. He ha she had a skin problem. She's, I would say, probably 29, 30, young, very attractive uh, woman. And she needed a minor procedure. And as we were chatting, I found out that the, we were, I was doing a little surgery on her. I found out that the reason she had just moved back to North Georgia was because she had gone through a divorce. Well, I was going to be giving a seminar on courtship and marriage the next, that weekend. So I asked her if she would give me some wisdom that I could impart to the people that, that uh, I would be sharing with. What, what, would it, what would she do differently? And here's what she said in a very bitter fashion. that. Marrying a Christian, she says, well, marrying a Christian doesn't work. What was she doing? She had violated God's principles in her courtship, but after the marriage broke apart, guess what she did? She blamed God. Blamed the fact that she should, she, well, after all, I, I married a Christian, therefore that doesn't work for marriage. There are lots of traps, and there's no simple checklist that you can go through to be protected from every trap. So God has designed the many eyes principle to protect us from traps. You see, 
many eyes are better than one set of eyes. And if we use the many eyes principle, the courtship with more than your eyes looking, you can avoid many traps. And so we're going to be talking about judicious counsel, how to have more than your eyes when you go into dating situation. But we need God's presence, so let's just pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll bless us as we seek your wisdom in your understanding in the area of courtship and marriage. I pray that you'll bless my lips, bless each ear, and that you'll be present with your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. The Bible it emphasizes the importance of wise and godly counsel. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, Proverbs 11:14. One person can't possibly see every danger, but several people together are more apt to detect a problem. Proverbs 20:18. every purpose is established by counsel. Proverbs 15:22. without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Who we choose as counselors, whether we recognize and seek good counsel, determines whether we are wise or whether we are otherwise. Now, the difference between wise and foolishness is the difference between being saved and lost. And Jesus, in many parables, contrasted a wise person with a foolish person, the wise virgin, the foolish virgins, the wise builder, the foolish builder. The difference between the two groups was wisdom. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is what? Wise. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. At the very close of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about two different home builders, the foolish and the wise builder. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The difference between a foolish and a wise individual is a foolish individual, if he hears counsel at all, doesn't take it. The wise in, uh, person, on the other hand, seeks out counsel and follows it. Make it a fixed principle. We could multiply many, many scriptures, but do not date an individual who despises counsel or authority. Forsake the foolish and live. Deuteronomy 32:28. for they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. The problem with the uh, Jews, in prophecy, Moses said, they would become a nation that would not listen to godly counsel. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. In a letter to a young lady dating a fellow who did not accept the Sabbath truth, this is what uh, God said through his prophet, many who profess to love and fear God choose to follow the bent of their own minds rather than take counsel of infinite wisdom. In a matter which vitally concerns the happiness and well-being of both parties for this world and the next, reason, judgment, and the fear of God are set aside, and blind impulse, stubborn determination is allowed to control. They wouldn't take counsel with infinite wisdom. Now, those who won't listen to counsel from God won't listen to counsel from God's servants. They do what is right in their own eyes. Even though doing what's right in your own eyes is forbidden in the Bible, this is what uh, they do. Men and women who are otherwise sensible and conscientious close their ears to counsel. They're not hard of hearing, as my sister would say. They're hard of listening. They close their ears to counsel. They are deaf 
to the appeals and entreaties of friends and kindreds and the servants of God. The expression of a caution or warning is regarded as impertinent meddling, and the friend who is faithful enough to utter a remonstrance is treated as an enemy. Since marriage affects our future happiness more than any other single thing that we do, the single need counsel and advice here more than what? Any other point, letter 95, 1886. Now, not all counsel is good counsel. When the Bible refers to counsel, it's talking about biblical counsel based on the Bible. Counsel from those who have three characteristics. This is the only type of person that you want to counsel with. They know the Bible. They love the Bible. And they have years of experience in obeying the Bible. That is the criteria for a, a good counselor. That's who you want to find. What are the three principles? They know the Bible. They love the Bible. And they have years of experience in obeying the Bible's counsel. Turn away from any other counselors. Uh, those who are dating need counsel originating from the mind of God. The counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Now, how do we obtain God's good counsel? This is what we want to know. To keep us from missteps in marriage, God has provided three important counselors. And then these have three buttresses. The major counselors are first, the Bible. This gives clear and general instruction which, like a lamp, guides our feet into which steps we should take. It's the standard by which we measure all of our other standards. Now, the Bible has certain things that it says, do this, don't do that. And what you want to do is when you take the Bible, you want to, if it says, don't do something, that's a uh, caution or a, a command, do do something. You want to avoid the one and follow the other. But there is a problem with Bible counsel and getting Bible counsel. If I go to the Bible, can I find a place in the Bible that it tells me, Mary, Sherry? Is that uh, Revelation 1.5? No. So it gives general principles in choices, but it doesn't give specifics. So God gives something that helps us with more specifics. There's our local church, which gives us more specific direction when its leaders are under the control of God. And then our parents, who give us very specific advice, which we are to honor. Now, I said these three protective walls are supported by three buttresses, but these are less reliable sources. The first is government. These provide marriage licenses, and they're, the uh, criteria vary from state to state. Some require certain types of tests before certain um, uh, medical tests. Most of these are very, very minor requirements. But other authorities include school. I'll give you a sample. My, my parents, and we didn't discover this till actually their 50th anniversary, but my, my parents, my dad and mother were converts. My dad was actually a pastor of another denomination. He was a graduate from the University of Michigan, and he had an opportunity to take further studies at Emmanuel Missionary College, now Andrews University. So he went there to study. He was not an Adventist at the time. He went there to study, and he took classes. While he was attending the school, he was introduced by Elder Vanneman to my mother, and they uh, decided that they had a good relationship. And so my dad made arrangements with, uh, with my mother's parents, they went home one weekend, and they got married, came back to school, and then guess what they discovered? That was against the rules of the school. 
So you'd get kicked out if you got married during the school year. Well, that was simple. They basically just didn't live married. And then they had, at the end of the school, after school graduation, then they had their official marriage. And this was actually the anniversary that we all grew up, June 2, thinking that was their anniversary. But they followed the rules of the school when they found out what they were. Now, there are other ways that uh, God helps us, and that is providential events. What doors that God opens, doors that God closes. There are people who get dreams that they are going to marry a certain person. And I, I know of several of experiences. In fact, in my own family, my, uh, my son was told by a girl that, that uh, um, she'd had a dream that they were to get married. Guess what? Um, if God never opens that door, that door stays shut forever. Doesn't matter what you dream. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, if, if God wants you and somebody else to be married, it won't be simply you that think it's the right thing. Providences will open up. You follow what I'm saying? So if God's word doesn't forbid it or command it, the local church is not opposed to it, your parents are in agreement, the government or other authorities approve it. If there's still no providential openings, the answer is what? This isn't the right person or this isn't the right time. Then lastly and leastly is our impressions. Um, so these are are how God directs us. And in the case of courtship and marriage, because of the din of emotions and feelings, these are the least reliable of all. But if, if, you're, if the Bible doesn't command it or forbid it, the local church is in favor of it, your parents are in favor of it, the government or other authorities wouldn't stop it, it's providential events. If you have a question mark in your back of your mind, you still have to pay attention to that. Follow what I'm saying? So these are the six ways that God helps guide us through this time, the many eyes principle, many eyes principle. We must have God's will in our marriage. This is not minor. Jeremiah said, Wilt thou not cry from this time? Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father, thou art the guide of my youth? Now, the word cry, if you see, you're reading in the Bible, and either in Proverbs or Psalms or, or any place of it, if you see that a person is to cry to God, that's a very specific piece of instruction. That word is specific, and it means that's a verbal prayer to God. Cry for help. When you cried out as a child, your mother heard that cry, no matter how busy she was, it was different than any other cry. And God listens to our cry differently than just a uh, little thought prayer that we might pray. But when we cry out verbally, openly to God, my father, thou art the guide of my youth, crying out for his guidance, God will respond to this. Now, how can we be prepared for God to guide us? God never forces us to take his counsel. He doesn't drag us by the ear and say, listen to me, usually. Um, we must seek counsel of God. God's not going to run us down, tackle us, and force his counsel on us. This says, be so calm, so submissive to the will of God, that you will not be in a fever of excitement and unqualified for his service by your attachments. You see, we can get all feverishly excited. In the area of courtship and marriage, sometimes you need to take a thermometer. 
And if you're too excited, you're just not going to listen to God. And so you want to have, you want to go to God and say, Lord, I don't want my way to be done. I want your way. Please lead me. Please guide me from my youth. Help me not to make a mistake here. And I am willing to go forward if you would like it, but I don't want to go forward if that's not your will. Not my will, but thine be done. Many people in their courtship, they're so anxious, let somebody interfere with their plans. And they just sort of push so that God, they don't give God a chance to really tell them don't or do. They're going to just do it anyway. So if you're going to do whatever you want to do, God will let you. He will do that. I remember when I was dating Sherry, and both of us were very concerned lest um, we didn't give God an opportunity to stop a relationship if he didn't want us to get together. And I think that's an important uh, principle. Earnestly cry out to God for guidance in three specific areas. What is right, Ministry of Healing 361, what is right, what is wrong, how am I best fulfill life's purposes? I would recommend that you memorize those. I try to tell that to God in my, in my daily prayers. What is right, Lord? What is wrong? How am I best fulfill life's purpose? And if you learn to do it day by day in little things, you will learn to do it in important steps. I remember watching one young fellow when, uh, when I was, oh, probably eight or nine. And this young fellow, I watched him argue with his mother about how to comb his hair. And the thought God impressed me was, if he doesn't listen to his parents in such a small, inconsequential thing, He's not going to listen to his parents when it comes to courtship and marriage. And that's how it proved to be. But it helped me because I made a decision there. Again, I don't know how young I was, but I was young. As I watched that, it was the Lord um, as if he talked to me. And, and I made a decision. I want to listen to my parents. I had good parents. I want to listen to my parents in small areas of my life because I want, to make, I want to follow their advice when it comes to courtship and marriage. Now, the Bible tells us that Saul lost his physical life, his kingdom dynasty, his eternal life, because he refused to seek or follow God's counsel. And it contrasts that with David who sought counsel from God every step of his life. When he was fleeing from Saul, he fled first to Samuel to get counsel from God. He fled from Samuel to the sanctuary where he could get counsel from the high priest. When he was out then fleeing, didn't dare go to either of those places, God sent him Gad the prophet. And then when Gad wasn't available, God sent him the ephod where he could get counsel all the way through. We need counsel with God. Now, if you'll notice, David got very specific counsel. Should I do this? Should I do that? I was interested in reading about Ellen White, who had a vision, not simply about the choice of a husband. She had that, too. But she had a vision on the choice of a horse, Charlie. She was showing the different horses that, uh, and that this was the one that she should purchase. If God would give information on something as insignificant as which horse a prophet should, should get for transportation, don't you think that he's willing to give us counsel and guidance on who we marry? Since who we marry has an incredible impact on the future of the entire universe. It isn't just Abraham 
who made one mistake in the area of marriage and had the wrong wife, Hagar, that produced the problems of today. That was to illustrate every person in the entire world who's made a mistake in the area of courtship and marriage has produced consequences in the future that are just as damaging. We simply don't have God's word to, to follow it out. In heaven, we could see it. Who you, who you marry determines what children are born into the world. It determines what impact you will have in your ministry with others. It changes significantly the world. It even impacts us through eternity. What children impacts who is in eternity. These are not insignificant things. That's why God will guide us. And as we said in the very first lecture, He reserves giving a spouse as something he wants to do rather than letting somebody else do it for us or some other person having a good gift. He wants to be the one that gives us our spouse. No wonder we should pray four times a day when we're dating. Now, this kind of prayer is, should be very specific. I find that many people pray kind of general prayers. Have you ever noticed that? Sort of, God, help me. Well, hey, help me how? Be real specific. The more specific your prayer is, the more specific God's answer can be. Jehoshaphat was facing a very large army, and 2 Chronicles 20 tells us that a prophet delivered the answer and as we earnestly pray, the answer will come in the Word of God. It will come through God's delegated messengers, through servants, his, uh, through circumstances. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. How do we know what is right in dating? Those three questions, what is right, what is wrong, how can we best fulfill God's purpose? How do we know what is wrong during the dating period? How can we got, find God's purpose for our lives? We study the Bible, and it will tell us. We study the spirit of prophecy, and it will tell us. We continue these questions into our marriage, these three questions, and in fact, every area of our life will be instructed by the Word of God. If you would know the will of God carefully, and prayerfully study the Bible. If ever the Bible is needed as a counselor, it is before taking a step that binds persons together for life. Now, how do you make the Bible a courtship counselor? Whatever passage in the Bible you're studying, whichever one, ask, Lord, what does this passage teach me Give me directions for this area of my life. How does that teach me about the courtship and marriage? It may not be overtly about courtship and marriage. This is any verse in Scripture. But ask the question, what does this passage have to do with my situation? And you'll discover, you'll begin to discover insights. You see, many people, they read the Bible. And they'll check it off. They'll have their little devotions in the morning or in the evening. And, or maybe both. And after they've read the Bible, guess what? They haven't gotten specific directions for their life that day. What use is the Bible if it doesn't give you specific counsel? Nothing. They've just wasted their time. They've been a hearer, but they are not a doer because they don't even see what it told them to do. They've just read something. They've been a reader, but they haven't been a doer. You want to kneel down before you read the Bible and say, Lord, what is it that you're going to try to teach me today? I want to hear your voice in this passage that I'm going to be reading Help me to understand your direction in my life today. Now, you want to know the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in the Word of God as you study it? The foolish virgins, they 
took no oil in their lamp. The lamp represents the Word of God. They had the Word of God, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit in it. Do you want to know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit is when you're studying the Bible? Verses will begin to leap out, speaking to you about your life. And if that doesn't happen, you're not getting the Holy Spirit in the Word if it's not guiding you in what you're doing. Um, then study the portions that are clearly related to courtship and marriage. Passages such as the destruction of the antediluvian world, Sodom, the end of time in marriage, Isaac and Rebekah's uh, marriage, Isaac's blessings on Jacob, Esau and his wives, Ishmael's wives, Jacob's marriage, Dinah. I have listed just a few of the obvious courtship and marriage passages. What? Oh, they're in your, they're in your uh, syllabus. I'll give this uh, to you. It's all in here. Um, study, analyze these passages, meditate on them, and ask the three questions. What are the three questions? What is right? What is wrong? How, can, how does this teach me how to better fulfill God's purpose? plan for my life. Samson, Ezra, Nehemiah, Proverbs, Hosea, Christ's miracle at the wedding feast. I found more, actually, since I, I wrote this and uh, since I made this slide. Um, Paul's counsel. Is the Bible's relative silence on courtship and romance during courtship significant? There's nothing in the New Testament, in, in the New Testament about any of the disciples' courtships. Is this significant? If the Bible's writers do not dwell on it, should we? The Spirit of Prophecy also has excellent resources. And uh, again, these are all listed here. The early part of Adventist Home, the entire book, Letters to Young Lovers, is excellent. There is a whole section, the last section, in fact, of messages to young people. Ministry of Healing has an entire section on the home. Solomon Peel has important instruction on moral purity. I've given a whole section. It's on audio verse at the uh, GYC in Baltimore, Maryland, in which um, I outlined some of the material in Solomon Peel, how to tell whether a person has a problem with moral purity or not. God gave instruction. The Solomon Peel's the first book that the General Conference produced of Ellen White. And it's on a, a, an appeal to mother. It's a, a silent appeal to mothers. And it tells mothers how they can see telltale evidences of moral impurity, such as uh, secret vice, in their children. Just like parents can be taught to look for telltale evidences of, of uh, drug use by children, so God gives insight in how to tell moral purity. It helped me a great deal when I was in academy to detect um, young people around that had moral purity problems. Sa saves you from dating people that uh, might be attractive but you shouldn't um, date. Testimonies, Volume 7, has a letter to a couple during their first married year. It contains important information about that first year of marriage. That first year of marriage is so important that the Bible says that you need to cheer up your wife for the first year. Take special, the first year is, is different. So today, how does that apply? These things are not simply materials to read. Oh, and I just found in Selected Messages, there's a whole section on marriages. This is not material simply to read. This is material that you want to study. Uh, last year, um, I had to be, well, for three years, I was taking my dermatology training. And then at the end of your dermatology training, then you have to face a test, boards. 
and this is a day-long test. And that test determines whether your three years was of any value or not. It's all up in smoke if you don't pass this test. So all the three years I was studying, studying, studying. But you don't just read. You know what you do? You quiz yourself. And you quiz again and again. You review the questions. And when you are studying these things, I learned how to study the Bible when I was in medical school, frankly. You want to study as if your whole life depended on your answering the questions that this verse is giving you an answer to, because your life does depend on it. Now, how do you obtain practical counsel from the spirit of prophecy? Recently, a Christian young man went through the section on Adventist home on courtship and marriage, that first early section there. And he reworded the sentences into questions. And he made 250 questions asking questions about himself. Um, and he attempted to answer each question. He did not begin a courtship until he had completed going through and answering all 250 questions. Then he started his courtship, and the prospective life's partner went through with him the 250 questions. He sent me his study sheet, and with his permission, I reproduced some of the questions and altered in the syllabus. Um, it turns out that's Eric Nelson, my son-in-law. Um, he's the one that's organized this Western Youth Conference. Now let's look at one of the examples. Uh, we saw this quotation a few minutes ago. Let's look at it more closely. How do we turn a statement into a question? Many who profess to love and fear God choose to follow the bent of their own minds rather than take counsel of infinite wisdom. Now, how would you turn this statement into a question? Well, what do we call people who love and fear Jesus? Christians. Do I profess to love and fear God? Yes. Is this a sentence that would apply to a few Christians? No, it says many. Does this sentence apply to me? Am I following the bent of my own mind or seeking infinite wisdom? Now, this is how you study the Bible. You ask two things. What questions does this verse answer? You ask as many questions as you can. You just get the answer right out of the text. And then you ask the next question, what questions does this verse raise? That's, that's how you study. Um, how can I determine whether I'm doing my own thing? Do I seek counsel from God? What happens when my will is crossed? Let's look at the next sentence. In a matter which vitally concerns the happiness and well-being of both parties for this world and the next, Reason, judgment, and the fear of God are set aside, and blind impulse, stubborn determination are allowed to control. How would you turn this statement into a question? Am I reasonable? That is, can people reason with me? What happens when somebody, when my parents try to reason with me? Am I reasonable? Or do I just insist on my own way? Do I have good judgment? Do I fear God? Here's a question. Am I following reason, judgment, and the fear of God? Or do I set this aside and instead go with blind impulse and stubborn determination, my way or the highway? Now, after we counsel with God's word, we seek God, uh, God's counsel from our parents. Ellen White wrote to her 18-year-old granddaughter. She said, you have no right to place your affections on any young man without your father and mother's full sanction. 
Now, when she said mother, this wasn't actually her granddaughter's mother. The granddaughter's mother had actually died. So this was her stepmother. But she said, you have no right to place your affections on any young man without your father's and your stepmother's full sanction. She added, and she was speaking to an 18-year-old. Here's what she said. She said, you are but a child. How would you like it if you're 18 to hear a prophet say you're but a child? And for you to show a preference for any young man without the full knowledge and sanction of your father is to dishonor him. Do you remember when Solomon said to God, I am but a child? You know how old he was? 18. He was not yet 20. He was a child. He was telling the truth. And I'm 59, and you know what? It's still true. I am but a child. Now, what is full sanction? I looked this up in the Webster's Dictionary. This means the official approval, full authorization. You know, many young people, you know what they seek? They seek their parents' at least acquiescence. This is not the parents just throwing up their hands and say they're going to do it anyway, so I guess I better go along with it. This is, what's the word? Sanction. Official authorization. See, counseling with parents is not simply a formality. The child should readily yield to his parents' counsel. Parents is plural here, father and mother. And as we said, in this case, it was actually stepmother. Shall, care, shall children consult only their own desires and inclinations, irrespective of the advice and judgment of their parents? Should that child, notwithstanding the counsel and entreaties of his parents, persist in following his own course? I answer decidedly. This isn't any iffy. This isn't maybe. This is decidedly. No, not if, read it with me, not if he never marries. So if we persist in our own ways despite the counsel of our parents um, who are giving us the counsel of God, we are stubborn. And stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Jesus gave us an example of how we should treat our parents. He lived with them. He didn't go off on his own so he could be independent. He assisted them and obeyed him until he was 30. And he had a lot more wisdom than they did. And they were not always right. But he understood authority. He didn't rebel against it. God has a system of authority in the universe. And the fifth commandment is the principle of authority adapted to this world. In this world, we have parents. The angels don't marry, so they don't have parents. So their fifth commandment is different than ours, but both of them have the principle of authority. We're under authority. Although young people are to counsel with their parents during courtship, young people fortunate enough to have godly parents are under even greater obligation to counsel with them. They're foolish to ignore this great blessing. Now, some young people come to this um, quotation, Ministry of Healing 359, if you're blessed with God-fearing parents, seek counsel of them, and they use this as an escape clause. Their translation of this passage is, if you are blessed with perfect parents, seek counsel of them. Since their parents aren't perfect, they're justified in not counseling with them. By the way, if you already knew this quotation, you probably have God-fearing parents. Now, when Ellen White mentions God-fearing parents, what does she mean? And you need to know this, because if you don't have God-fearing parents, you should at least know what you want to be when you're married and have children, should the world go on that uh, long, that long, and God's plan for your life be marriage. I have found four aspects of God-fearing parents, and the references are here in the notes. But number one, they teach their children the basics of Christianity. 
respect for the Word of God. Bible teachings are the law of the home, and they're nurtured and admonished by the gospel. Number two, they pray with and for their children. Number three, their greatest concern is for the child's salvation. When the college student visits home, their greatest concern is not what the grades are, but what the character uh, is. Um, when they talk on the phone, they want to know what's the character that's being formed. And lastly, God-fearing parents are said to be actively involved in, ter in determining friendships for their children. Children who are Christians will esteem above every earthly blessing the love and approbation of their God-fearing parents. Now, we live because of sin in a very complicated world. Very complicated. Some parents don't seem to care who their children marry. Some parents think it's even wrong to advise their children in this area. It's amazing to me. And parents may not be able to advise their children because their children are away from home and they're really not able to become acquainted with a potential life's partner. There's war, sickness, accidents, and divorce. They're orphans and virtual orphans. In those situations where you don't have parents or godly parents to counsel with, you still need counsel from God-fearing parent substitutes. And so, um, as far as possible, attempt to establish good communications with parents by phone or email. Keep them fully informed of every step in the process. If you don't have uh, parents that can do this, um, seek counsel from older, godly, experienced individuals who know you and the potential life's partner. They, they have these three characteristics. What are they? They know God's Word, they love God's Word, and they have experience in obeying God's Word. So you seek those uh, characteristics in some counselor. Now, what if you have ungodly parents? And in a group this size, there is certain to be parents here who were ungodly. Just the unfortunate facts of it. Well, first of all, we must not follow their example, yet we still respect and honor them. The highest honor you can give your parents is to be in heaven. There's no higher honor. Do you know if a, if a son is very famous or in a high position or wealthy, the parents uh, get honored just because of the child. But there's nothing that remotely approaches what God is going to do for those who are saved, the honor he's going to give. We will have many worlds that we're ruler. God says those who are faithful over what? A few things. The, Moses, though it seems like he was faithful over great things, he was actually faithful over just the small issues that he was given. But God says, I will make you ruler over many things. So they'll be very wealthy. Um, in heaven, it's different than on this earth. In this earth, the ruler gets his honor and his glory and his wealth from the citizens. But in heaven, it's just the opposite of that. The citizens get their glory, honor, and wealth from the king, God. And so if we're ruler, we have to be wealthy because we'll be bestowing this on those, uh, those worlds that we are responsible for. So we'll be very, very wealthy because we will have many needs to give to. And it's, it's so unbelievable what God, we just can't even imagine. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what God has prepared for those who love him. That's the highest kind of honor you could give to your parents, to be in heaven. Make sure that you give them that honor. Honoring our parents is so important that God made it the very first commandment with an enticing promise. Uh, Ephesians 6, 2. Now, even if our parents are not Christians, we must still seek their blessing in any courtship and seek to win them to the Lord. 
We want to cooperate with them in every way to win them to the Lord. Of course, we must avoid their example in disobedience and compromise. Ezekiel 18 is clear about this. Determine that it will never be said of you as it was said of the kings of Israel that they walked in the ways of their fathers. Do you know what's very, very fascinating? And we'll look at this a little more in the next uh, lecture. That children seldom go above their parents. They usually repeat their parents' sins and add a few new ones. Are you repeating the sins of your parents? Even if you have godly parents, are you repeating their sins? Or are you asking the Lord to move you above um, your ancestry, back to his word? In those few instances where parents truly cast us out, God has promised to provide other means of parenting, just as he does for orphans. Now, how should you counsel with your parents when you believe they will probably oppose your dating plans? Samson's classic counseling method has been popular through the centuries. You inform them of uh, what you're going to do. Now, expect them to uh, uh, give you advice even if you don't ask for it. And... Uh, his father and his mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And simply ignore your parents' poor advice. Keep the conversation focused on your wishes. And instead of seeking to please God and his God-fearing parents, Samson sought to do what? Get her for me for what? She pleaseth me. Well... Does she please God well? Didn't say it. She pleases me well. But the way that seemed so ideal, attractive, and right to Samson brought him misery, pain, imprisonment, put out his eyes, finally death. The refinement to this method was uh, King Ahab's, and it's quite popular. The story, its details can be found in 1 Kings 22. We highlight a few points. You begin by relying on counselors who agree with your position. Since the Bible says a multitude of counselors uh, provide safety, uh, you make this multitude of counselors um, the counsel of God, the majority of you. At this stage, you should avoid with counseling with anyone who might disagree, including your parents, since it would be premature to gain their counsel that might jeopardize your plans. Assume any counsel that's contrary to your desires comes from malice directed toward you personally, even if it is from your parents, like uh, um, Ahab did toward Micaiah. Have a brother or a sister. Talk to your parents before you go to them for counsel. Make sure to have your messenger emphasize how everyone else is so encouraging. The messengers can even exaggerate a little bit how excited others are about your dating plans. Drop names of church leaders if you can. And your parents should be reminded that they shouldn't be discouraging your attempt to follow God in your plans. When you finally have a talk with your parents, before the counseling session, remind your parents how lucky they are to have you counseling with them since most children don't even bother counseling with their parents today. And if your parents are still against it when you talk to them, get mad and ignore their advice. Punish them by your attitude. When time will have proven how right you are, you can then renew the relationship. You remember this is what Ahab says, put this fellow in prison, feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. Remember the story? The problem with this method and Samson's method is it may get you your way but it won't get you happiness. The battle increased that day, and King Ahab died. Ellen White declared, I have the most painful sense of helplessness when parties come to me for counsel upon this subject. Oh, coming to the prophet for counsel. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that sweet? They want counsel from God? No. They didn't want God's counsel. They wanted 
God's permission. They weren't really coming for counsel. They were really coming for permission. And dear folk, if you are going to a counselor for permission, you're wasting your time. If you're going to your parents for permission, you're wasting your time. They have some wisdom to give you. She wasn't flattered that young people came to her for advice about marriage, that they'll almost never thank you for telling the truth. They reveal their true motives by four responses, and you'll see this. Folk, if this is what you do for your, for your parents, this is what you would do if you were talking to God in heaven. Same thing. I may speak to them the words that God would have me, but they frequently do what? Question every point, plead the wisdom of carrying out their own purposes, and eventually what do they do? Do their own thing. That's, of course, true because we have difficulty understanding what we don't want to do. They may, they may seem, they seem to have no power to overcome their own wishes and inclinations and will not marry, and will marry at all hazards. See, they're followers of themselves, they're not followers of Jesus. Notice the balance. We are not simply to blindly follow everything that others tell us to do. We should listen to counsel, consider the matter carefully and prayerfully, leaving ourselves in the hands of God to be guided and controlled by His Spirit. Notice the underlying uh, uh, problem. They think they understand the matter fully without wisdom from God or counsel from men. The rest of the story, very predictable. When it is too late, they find that they have made a mistake and have imperiled their happiness in this life and the salvation of their souls. They would not admit that anyone knew anything about the matter but themselves, when if counsel had been received, they might have saved themselves years of anxiety and sorrow. Notice the last sentence, but advice is only thrown away on those who are determined to have their own way. There's a better way. When we're perplexed to know what is, course is right, let them lay the matter just as they view it before their parents and ask advice of them. Now, parents may not know what to say, but at least you're giving them something to pray about. They may have to think about it, but you're not seeking your own way. Open to them your hopes and plans. Learn the lessons which their life experiences have taught, and you will be saved many a heartache. Consider everything that your parents say without one argument. Go to them. Don't force them to come to you. Seek their advice. Don't demand their permission. Look at Jeremiah 42. Put this down in your notes, right? Uh, Jeremiah 42, Ezekiel 14. These were people that came to a prophet asking for advice, but they didn't really want it. They didn't follow it. They said they did, but they didn't. Your parents actually may be reluctant to give you their real view, uh, for fear you'll be alienated by it. You'll have to draw it out. Proverbs 25, counsel in the heart of men is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And here's what you need to gain from your parents. Do I feel I should, do they feel that I should ever get married? Am I really ready to consider marriage now? Do they think that I could make a spouse happy? If your parents don't feel that you are prepared for marriage, put all thoughts out of your, uh, your mind and, and await God's timing. In what areas do they think I could make a spouse unhappy? What areas of character of mine need improving? And then um, what would it take before they could re recommend me to a life's partner? Now, the Bible nowhere recommends dating around as a preparation for marriage. That's a preparation for divorce. And then third, do your parents have any suggestions as to a person they would like you to become better acquainted with? Why this person? Why not? And what do they think about your ideas 
of a possible person to become better acquainted with why or why not. Beginning the process of courtship by counseling with your parents will protect you from the most common mistakes of courtship. Are your ideas of marriage realistic or are they romantic? Are they based on life or are they based on Hollywood's fictional portrayal of love and marriage? This is very important because the ideas of courtship have their foundation in erroneous ideas concerning marriage. A courtship is not based on love. A marriage is. A courtship is a time to find out whether this is someone you can or should love. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I pray that you will bless us as we make decisions in our lives in these important areas. I pray that you'll protect every young person here through the many eyes principle, listening to godly counsel, paying attention to your word. And now bless us as we look at the final aspect of this seminar. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.